for years. Most of the, most of the message will be on chapter seven, but I'm going to first few verses of chapter one kind of lays the foundation. And before putting this message together, I didn't really honestly realize how good the book of Ezra was. I mean, they're all good, obviously. But there's some books you just kind of some books you feel are better than others, but then you get into one that you haven't you know seen in a while and. It kind of renews your spirit and you learn some things that God just reveals some things that allows them to pop out at you. In the book of Ezra, I'm going to be specifically talking about, about how to get God's hand upon you. And that's where chapter 7 comes in. But I want to lay the foundation of chapter 1. A little bit of background is um, the book of Ezra covers the rebuilding of the, the temple. And the, it's kind of split up into a couple different parts. The first six chapters are more on the rebuilding of the temple and the first exile of people back to Jerusalem from Babylon. And the second part is where Ezra comes in, in chapter 7, and that's more of the rebuilding of the community, the people around the temple and the people in Jerusalem. And there's actually a third part, which is Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of the city, but... Um, that's a separate book, so we'll leave that alone tonight. So there's technically three parts to this story. I want to cover the second part, the rebuilding of the community and the people in Jerusalem. Ezra's uh, job was to not only bring more Israelites out of Babylon and into Jerusalem, but his job was to um, also rebuild the worship and restore the worship of the temple because after they built the temple once it was done the the people kind of fell astray and were marrying people they shouldn't marry and things got kind of into a mess which disappointed uh, a lot of the elders in Jerusalem because they thought the prophecy was, was going to be fulfilled right away and it took took some time but um, We'll kind of lay the foundation before I get any further in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 on how this whole rebuilding of the temple started. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it also in, in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So if you're following along there, um, we'll kind of set the stage that Cyrus is 
not a believing king. He's a pagan king. But yet, God stirred the spirit of Cyrus. God uses the king to direct his plan, even if the king didn't believe that the God of Israel was the one true God. You see, King Cyrus believed in multiple gods. He had that pagan mindset of... Um, he, maybe he thought he knew all the gods, but then he learns about a new god. And, oh, I don't want to make that god mad, so I'll just kind of... I'll let these Jewish people do what they want to do because I, there's no sense in stirring up trouble from, from gods and hurting, hurting my kingdom. So I think that's kind of the mindset he had, but, but um, the Bible's very clear here that God's hand was in the spirit of Cyrus and sort of helped direct... Uh, Cyrus is thinking here. Proverbs 21 1. You don't have to uh, turn there, but I'll, I'll read it real quick. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, kind of tells you why. Here it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth he turneth it, which, where, where, <laughs> whithersoever he will. That's not a very English, good English word there, so I have to remember. But the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. No matter who the king is, the Lord has a hold of his heart, and he will direct his heart like the rivers of water. He will make it go wherever he wants it to go to fulfill the will he has for his people. Cyrus was an instrument for the Lord, for the Lord, whether he liked it or not. <laughs> whether he knew he was a part of something big or not, Cyrus was an instrument that that God used to lay out this decree that he he puts out in the later verses here, which we'll skip over. But he puts out this decree for the Jerusalem people to go out back to uh, the Jewish people to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild this temple. Um, so even though it was a decree from Cyrus, ultimately the Bible is very clear that God is the one that prompted it. So that kind of lays the foundation there on what is going on. Let's jump over to chapter 7. So like I said, the first six chapters are the rebuilding of the temple, and then there's a gap between... Um, chapter 6 and chapter 7 of about 58, 60 years, something like that. And actually, just side note, between chapter 6 and 7 is where Esther takes place during that time frame. So all these books play together in the same story. But in chapter 7, the first five verses, um, I'm going to spare, spare your ears for me trying to pronounce all these names, but it's a genealogy um, of Ezra. And the point of the first five verses here is to, to prove Ezra's lineage of high priest. Um, that, and he finally proves in verse five that he is in the line of Aaron, which is the chief priest, the high priest. So we'll start off in verse six. Verse six says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according 
to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So Ezra is a scribe. And in the Bible, a scribe is also a teacher. Um, it is someone who is very prolific in the law, the law of Moses. And it says here that he is a skilled scribe, so he was an expert. He was, uh, or he was a ready, it says he was a ready scribe, which means he was a skilled scribe, an expert in his field, in the law of Moses. And um, kind of a little rabbit trail here, scribes throughout the Bible, you kind of see a, prog a progression of scribes. And you see Ezra makes this first transition before Ezra, Earlier in the Old Testament, scribes were just merely copiers. They were people that took the manuscripts and just copied the words on another piece of paper just so they'd have multiple copies of the law. Coming up to Ezra, and Ezra is kind of, the, you see the transition here, it could have been other people, but Ezra is kind of where it transitions to them being teachers. And um, they're so prolific in the law they can teach. Uh, the law of Moses, so they kind of get a higher status. And then later on in the New Testament, if you notice when Jesus is teaching, scribes is one of the groups of people that is against his teaching, and they're with the Pharisees, and they've kind of fallen to the legalism, legalistic stuff and the teachings under the Pharisees. So you see this kind of buildup of the scribes come going from copiers to teachers, which they taught the law as is to um, people under the Pharisees, which were legalistic, there was false teachings and stuff like that, and it just the, the rabbit trail that made me think of here is the media that we see today. When you think of the media in the past, they were copiers. They just they saw the news. You think of the newspaper, it's just, and this is what happened. That's right. You make your own conclusions, but then as time passes, they get more and more power, more and more following and they feel like they have a little bit of control and now we're to a point where the media just feels like they can call an election and that's right. control yeah. the culture and make the news what they want to make it. And that's kind of what the scribes were like um, in the New Testament. And Ezra, Ezra is the transition to the true teachers of the law. That was the rapid trail. I saw that and I thought it was kind of interesting to share. But Ezra is... Um, Commissioned by God, he was preparing his um, life for this moment to bring his um, fellow Jewish people back into Jerusalem. He, this was his, his desire, his calling, and he prepared for it. So, and back to verse 6, it, after it tells us he's a scribe, it says, um, it says the king granted him all of his requests. So kind of similar to chapter 1, verse 1, the Cyrus the king granting uh, the requests, which Zerubbabel was the one under the building of the temple. Now we turn to uh, King Artaxerxes, who is allowing Ezra to exile more people to Jerusalem, and we see God's hand um, leading the heart of this king. And as we read on, you'll see more of that. But it says that the king 
gave Ezra all of his, his requests. They didn't want to disappoint as God, and God used him to fulfill this will that he, that he had. God's will was for his people to come back to the temple and worship him and restore that worship. So because God had that will, and he had, he had somebody willing to follow through with his word and, and do what was commanded of him, God swayed the heart of this king so that this man that was willing, Ezra, could do what he needed to do. And that's kind of where this whole message is going. So we'll read verse, verses 7 through 9. Next, and it says in verse 7, And there went up some of the children of Israel, and of the priests, and of the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and then Nephilims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. So this is this is the people gathering together to, for the for the exile. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. And that's, like I mentioned in the beginning, the good hand of his God upon him. I want to talk about how to have God's hand upon you to um, help fulfill the will God has for us. Verse 7, 7 through 9, we see that um, Ezra and many others went to Jerusalem. This wasn't a very easy trip. This was um, a very treacherous, long trip. It took, took months. It took preparation. And he needed God's hand upon him to, to successfully get through this trip and what he needed to do. So verse 10 is the key verse of where I want to focus on how he was able to, to get God's hand upon him to fulfill this mission. In verse 10, the key verse, I want you to pay attention to it, says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the, of the Lord and to do it, Amen. and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. <clears throat> so, first part of the verse there, Ezra prepared his heart. He prepared his heart. He knew what he was up against. He knew what he was facing, um, what he needed to do. He knew it was going to be a challenge. And he was responsible for leading, I don't know how many people, thousands of people, possibly, back to, to the temple. He was responsible for their worship. He was responsible for their spiritual well-being. He knew that the mission ahead of him was, was a treacherous one, not only just physically, but mentally, uh, spiritually. He knew he had a lot to face. So he needed to prepare his heart and he needed the wisdom of God. He needed materials. He needed protection. I mean, he was traveling with likely a lot of gold and silver and stuff he needed for the temple. So he needed he needed a lot of help from God. He knew he couldn't do this on his own. And this is important to, to focus on because we... I know there's a lot of people today that feel like we're heading into some treacherous times. We're Amen. heading into... A time that we don't know what we're going to do without God. But no matter, 
no matter what direction you're going, as long as you're going in the direction God told you to go, He's going to help you prepare your heart. He's going to help you. He's going to have His hand on you, and He's going to see you through that time. Because God knows everything that's going to happen. He knows everything that... Um, he knows what Satan's going to do before Satan knows what he's going to do. So, before you get fear and anxious and all this worry about the future, and I'm not just talking about the political climate, well, that's a big topic right now, but just, just everyday life and whatever, whatever you're doing. If we want to have God's hand on us, we must prepare our heart first. There's, there's no way you can have God's hand on you without your heart being ready for it. Move on. The second part, second thing Ezra does, which goes along with preparing your heart, is he pursues God's law. He pursues God's word. After he prepares his heart, the next thing he needs to do is get in God's God's word. Now he was, he had the law is what he was studying. He knew he had to to see what. God expected of him. He had to see what God expected of his people. And without pursuing that, Ezra would have been just walking in the dark. He wouldn't have known. He wouldn't have known what God wanted him to do. He needed to become familiar with God's word. And part of preparing your heart is also getting in God's word. And we cannot just pray and be expect, um, and expect to be prepared. While prayer is good, obviously, you're just praying without seeking God's word or trying to learn God's word. And God's probably up there just staring at you, saying, "Well, I have a whole book for you to read. Sorry, I have a manual for you to read. How about you get that first, and then I'll give you more." So we must prepare our hearts and then seek. His word, His law, His commandments, and His um, desires for us. The third thing that Ezra does is he applies what he's learned. Did you see in verse 10, after it says, He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, it says, and to do it. That's right. He wanted to do it. James 1.22. We all know this. Mm. We all know this verse. Doers of the word, not hearers only. That's right. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. But that's not where the verse stops. It says deceiving your own self. That's right. So if you are not doing what you're hearing, you're deceiving yourself. We deceive, we deceive ourselves by thinking that we are in the will of God just by hearing or just by even reading. People just will come to church and think they've fulfilled their duty. They, they're in the will of God because they showed up. Okay. They think they're in the will of God because they read a couple verses out of their devotional in the morning, but then don't do anything else. That's what it means when it says you're deceiving yourself. If you're just hearing it and you're not doing it, you're tricking yourself into thinking you're in the will of God. I'm just going to read the next couple of verses because I like them. James chapter 1. 
23. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forget what manner of man he was. But whoso, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So if you are just a hearer and not a doer of the word, you're, you're like that man who looked in the mirror and didn't brush his hair. He just walked out into the world looking all ugly. and <laughs> You're deceiving yourself. Thinking that, I mean, you've seen the truth. You look in the mirror, it doesn't lie to you. It tells you what it is, whether you like it or not. That's like God's word. You've seen the truth. You've seen, you see what you need to fix. That's right. And then you go out in the world not fixing it. That's a problem. You're deceiving yourself. That's what Ezra wanted to avoid. He couldn't afford to deceive himself. Or this whole thing would fall apart. Verse 10 again. I'll read it again. For Ezra had... Oh, sorry. Back in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And there's one more thing he did. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So Ezra professed what he knew. This all, you see how, this all ties together. You can't really have one without the other. Once you, if you stop on one of them, it's just a dead end in your Christian life if you don't apply the rest of these. So Ezra prof professed what he knew. After putting in all that effort, Ezra um, had the desire to tell others. He had the desire to teach Moses' law to the people in Jerusalem, to, in the temple. He had that desire to be the teacher, and earlier that's why I said we see this transition from scribe being a copier to a teacher. And Ezra was kind of really that first prominent teacher um, considered a scribe, or a scribe considered a teacher. Mark 16, 15. I'll just read it real quick. It says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are, and we're not teaching what Ezra taught. He's on the law. We're on the gospel. I mean, the law applies to us a lot of it. A lot of it doesn't apply to us today. But we're, we're in the New Testament. We're in, we're in the gospel. But we are still to be out there preaching God's word. doesn't mean you're a pastor. It doesn't mean you're taking a leadership role in the church or anything like that. It just means you're out there telling others what you know about God's word. And that's what preaching is. It's not, it's not a profession, necessarily. So, once you've prepared your heart for uh, God's Word, then you must pursue God's Word. Once you pursue it, and you learn it, you need to apply it. And once you apply it, then you're an expert, you're a professional, right? <laughs> so then you need to teach it, teach what you know. All these work together. It's a natural progression of your Christian life. You can think of it from salvation on. 
salvation is you're preparing your heart for something, even if you don't know what it is yet. You know you're preparing your heart for something. You know that you feel like there's this whole God thing is real, Jesus, his story is real. You have that that feeling. So you're you're preparing your heart for God's word. And once you hear that word, it gets applied. And then once it's applied, you must tell others about it. And then once you are saved, the salvation was the easy part. Once you are saved, now you got a lot more words to read in here. Now you got a lot more to hide in your heart and a lot more to apply and to actually do. We must be doers of the word. Amen. That's when the work starts, huh? That's right. That's when the work starts. Salvation is the easy part. Just the beginning. I'm glad it's the easy part. <laughs> right. But there's more to it. And so, I mean, what good is all this wisdom and knowledge you have of God's word if you're not willing to tell anybody else about it? Right. I mean, what good is it if if you hide it? If you, I mean, if you had to cure a cancer, would you hide it? Wow. Would you tell people about it? I mean, that's that's how you should see God's word. Because you're saving them from some, something much worse than, than cancer. Cancer is temporary. It hurts, but it's temporary. Eternal is is eternal. That's right. For a long time. If we have this knowledge, we need to share it. Don't hide it under a bushel like the song says. <coughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna finish reading every verse of chapter seven, even though it's it's pretty pretty amazing to see what God does in the in the king here. But I just want you to. I'll just kind of skim over it because I want you to see how God's hand on Ezra affected what God did in the hearts of the kings. Well, just to kind of summarize here. While Ezra was needing to get to the temple and restore the worship of God's people. Uh, verses 11 through 20, it speaks of um, Artaxerxes, again, a pagan, God, a pagan king, not a believer. He's basically commanding the people of his realm to donate to Ezra for the temple. A king that likely really doesn't care about God or the temple that's being built. He is writing a decree and commanding people to donate gold and silver and animals and whatever they whatever they can give. It is now law from this king to help with this this build. To finish to finish this build. Uh, and then in verse 20, it's, it's pretty amazing. It says, And whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. <laughs> so the king said, put it on my tab. If, you, if the people aren't giving you something that you need, I'll pay for it. Just take whatever you need. I mean, that's coming from a king that doesn't even believe in what this guy's doing. doesn't believe in this guy's yeah. mission. Kind of sound like good Samaritan did. So God, God was able to use. Wherever those, I'll tell you. This, this, 
Artaxerxes was the king of kings, not the king of kings like Jesus, but he conquered kings. He, was, he had many nations under him. He was a king over many kings. This was a powerful man. This was a man that was a pagan king, like I said, and God still used him. God stirred his heart, directed his heart as a river, like Proverbs said, because God had a will that needed to be done. And God, since God found the people that were willing to do it, he gave, him all, he gave Ezra all the resources he needed to get that will done. Whatever that will might be in our lives, if God has given you something in your life that he's kind of um, compelled you to do, I mean, nothing's going to stop you if, if you're in the will of God, if you've prepared your heart, if you've gotten the word, and if, you've, um, if you know this is what God is telling you to do, you need to do it, no matter how big or how small it might feel. God, God's resources are limitless. Don't think there's right. limits in this earth on what you can do. Don't think you don't have enough of whatever it might be, money, materials, I don't know, whatever whatever it is, God will provide it. Yeah. He'll use anyone to provide it for you, no matter who that someone is, whether they're a believer or not. So I'll wrap up here with... Uh, verses 27 to 28 after Ezra gets all this stuff from the king and the people around him for this mission he praises God verses 27 and 28 of Ezra chapter 7 it says blessed be the Lord God of our fathers which have put which have put such things as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Second half, verse 28, it says, I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord thy God was upon me. Amen. So if you do... These things we mentioned earlier, prepare your heart, pursue God's word, apply it to your life, and teach it to others, God's hand will be upon you. I mean, there's no question, it's just it's going to happen. God's not going to forget about you. And once God's hand is upon you, it will strengthen you, like Ezra said here, it said it strengthened him. You think Ezra was confident throughout this whole thing? You think he had any doubts cross his mind? I'm sure he had. I'm sure he, he had was doubts. human. <laughs> That's right. But he pursued. He persevered through through all of it, and every little bit God gave him, that was just enough for Ezra to keep going. You don't have to see the end of the path to be confident that God will get you there. All you need to see is the next step. You need to see what God gives you in that moment to get to the end of the path. And Ezra here says at the end, he says he was strengthened. And if God's hand is on you, you'll, you'll feel empowered, you'll feel strengthened, and you'll want to do more. So Ezra is just a great example of, of an individual that is committed to God and applying God's word to his life of what can happen. I mean, he affected an entire nation. That's right. He affected... A king mm -hmm. 
because I, I believe that, I don't, I don't know, I assume he, he knew the king. I mean, he was kind of high up being a scribe. He was close to the king in some fashion. So I think through this preparation of Ezra, I think Ezra kind of got favor with the king, like the king's thing. Yeah, this is a new him. Yeah, this is a pretty, what, this is a pretty good guy. Bear? What? what? Wasn't he a cupbearer? No. No? Ezra? Uh -huh. No, he was a scribe. A scribe, yeah. yeah. Right. He was a scribe. I got him mixed up with somebody else. Cupbearer. Yeah, but likely the Ezra had a little bit of an influence on the king, whether the king believed or not, which is probably why the king, part of the reason why the king was so willing to give him so much. He knew that... Um, he was likely a stand-up guy. I don't know. I don't know that part of the story, but just a just a thought. God of the Jews. He knew. Yeah. He had a God. He knew there was. He he, he didn't want to upset the God of the Jews. Even though no, he didn't know him, he didn't want to upset him. Neither did he. Even said something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to not only hear God's word, but to do it, like Ezra did. And I just it just makes me think of what the what kind of impact this church could have or um, just this small community could have if, if we all just applied God's word. Like what what kind of impact would we have on this community? I just I just want to one day see this this place full. Seeing it full on a Wednesday night that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pack Sunday morning first, but I don't think I don't think that's going to happen if we don't apply God's word and come together and and then after we apply it, tell others about it. So Ezra was compelled to improve this spiritual condition of the people in Jerusalem, and that's what gave him the motiva motivation to prepare himself, prepare his heart to do so. And we need to do the same. And like I said earlier, we all have something that we're compelled to do, no matter how big or small it might seem. If God is telling you to do it, do it. I mean, just pray, get in the Word, and whatever you learn from the Word, you apply it. And once you apply it, and you see the difference in your life, you'll have that confidence to tell others. I mean, I think... That's why most Christians won't tell other people about Jesus because they've never experienced him. After salvation happens, they get into that rut, never get out of it. And then once they, um, when they don't apply this to their life, they have no testimony for people. They have no um, evidence, I guess you could say. So that's what makes them fearful of telling others because it's like, you don't know. You can't teach something you don't know right now. <laughs> So that's all I got tonight. Hopefully that touched somebody here. And like I said, uh, I didn't think I could learn so much from the book of Ezra. Out of just one verse, honestly, that 710 was just kind of where it all came together. But um, it's a good it's a good lesson, I think, for all of us. But we'll go ahead. Like five minutes after, it's okay. <laughs> put, it on, put it on your tab. Put it on my tab. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we just so thankful for this message tonight. We're thankful for Brother uh, Travis to uh, 
come here and deliver the message you put on his heart. And, uh, <coughs> for everyone who's gathered here this Wednesday evening, we ask a blessing upon them that they may bless others when they leave this uh, building, Lord, and go out and become doers of the word, Lord. As this message says, Lord, we need to prepare our hearts to, to do it to do what you put on our hearts to do. We need to prepare ourselves when we come to you in prayer and prepare ourselves when we read your word. Lord, not just to be checking the block and say we've, we've done our deed for the day, but to listen intently uh, to that small voice that you uh, you put in our heart, Lord, to, to go out and, and do your will and not our own will, Lord. We thank you for the message tonight. We thank you for those gathered here today, Lord. And we just pray earnestly for our nation. Lord, I pray for divine intervention. I pray that you will will, will, will prepare the hearts of, of our leaders and that you will turn the hearts of our leaders uh, towards you, that they will see you in your glory and that they will seek to do your will in, in the offices that they hold uh, and, and not to do their own will for their own vain glory or for their own pocketbooks, Lord, but uh, for the good of this nation. Uh, for we once stood as a Christian nation, Lord, and we, once, we would like to, to once again stand that way. Lord, but it can only be done by your Holy Spirit to, to, to move throughout this, this country and, and to move the hearts of men and women, Lord. Uh, and we just pray earnestly for that. Uh, thank you again, Lord. I praise you. Give you all praise and glory and honor. It's in Christ Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.